and welcome to the latest episode on City Centric, where we're going to be talking about our Urban Health Index, which Dan from our team is going to be introducing. Uh, so on the show today, uh, there are four of us. Uh, so there's me, my name is Josh. Uh, I help run the business with Araceli, who's lead neuroscientist. We've also got Ilahi, who is a neuroscientist that's been with us for about three years. And Dan, who is our head of data, who is also a neuroscientist and very much led the development of the urban health index something that we have spoken a lot about uh, but we haven't really taken the time to explain a little bit more about where it came from how we came to it what type of data that we use what we think is the great application for it so for that we thought we put together a show that helped explain it from the people who created it their lens and where we want to take it and where we're going with it in the future so Dan could I pass the microphone over to you to explain a little bit more about the Urban Health Index, uh, you know, you really led the creation of it, a lot of the data analysis. So, you know, starting from the very beginning, like where did you see it forming and kind of the journey to it uh, and what it's representing? Sure. So uh, thanks for the intro. And I guess the Urban Health Index, it started as an evolution off of our stress risk score, which for anyone that doesn't know, that's the combination of annual heat, light, air, and noise pollution, and that we've kind of scaled to what research and you know um, other sources have said are reasonable and unreasonable levels. And we were using that for a bit and then said that there has to be a bit more psychosocial factors involved in how we assess an area. Because obviously, even, even if a place has a lot of air pollution, a lot of noise pollution, etc., there is still an element of what it means to the individual. So if you are someone who has maybe some different socioeconomic or there's some area of crime or something that affects a, a person's lived experience, then the same triggers could be worse or less. So the whole idea was to just kind of bring some of these factors into the stress risk score and thankfully the index of multiple deprivation is something that is collected every four years that tries to bring a lot of these sources together so it actually looks at different aspects of people's psychosocial lived experience and lifestyles for an area and puts them into a ranking so the whole idea was to then combine these two and bring one score that just gives you a general idea. So the assumption on it was that we'd weight them equally, which may not be true for every case, but it just gave us enough of a general idea so we can start looking at the relative, I guess, values between different um, LSOAs and we use it awards and at different levels. And so I guess the goal of the Urban Health Index by doing that is to give more awareness and it's not supposed to be prescriptive because it's not in real time but it's supposed to give people a layer of knowledge that you couldn't possibly know just from walking down the street these are things that happen over years or happen structurally cool thanks dan so now we're gonna pass it on to elahi um, who is the person that we actually constantly mention as the owner of biological inequality. We actually now finally have him on our podcast to join us. So Elahi, do you want to guide us on the definition of biological 
inequality versus biological inequity and how the urban health index reflects that? Yeah. Um, so the biological inequality uh, definition sort of came up um, during the earlier days when we were just working with the stress risk score. Um, and essentially what biological inequality was meant to capture was the um, it was sort of a term to refer to the unequal distribution of exposure and vulnerability to health threatening pollution levels within urban habitats and environments. Um, so that was really related to sort of uh, the, un the, the sort of unequal exposure to air pollution, noise pollution, light pollution and thermal pollution that we were seeing um, in the early days. But um, so biological in inequity sort of is an extension upon that initial concept. Um, and the reason we changed it from inequality to inequity was um, for a couple of reasons. Firstly, linguistically, um, using inequity um, conveys a sense of unfairness and injustice. And that's sort of what uh, we were trying to convey with the biological inequality in that uh, there is an unfair distribution of these certain levels of pollution and uh, stresses um, across urban spaces. Um, so that was one of the reasons. And the second reason was that we also wanted to uh, reinforce the idea that the exposure and from consequent vulnerabilities um, from these stresses um, are inherently due to structurally racist problems and practices within um, urban environments. Uh, so biological inequity was sort of redefined and it essentially means the systemic, unfair and avoidable stress-related biological differences which increase the risk of disease um, that are observed between social groups of a population um, and they are brought about by these structurally racist processes uh, which result in the disproportionate distribution and exposure to physical and psychosocial stresses. Um, so this sort of does relate back to the urban health index because um, we we are now sort of conceptualizing psychosocial stresses and physical stresses um, as as uh, forms of exposure, which which results in uh, an increased vulnerability and susceptibility to disease. Cool. Thanks, Elahi. That was incredibly succinct and precise. So, in the Urban Health Index, what and what we have, and yes, we call it Urban Health Index, but it's important to note that you can see that distribution across London. What Elahi was pointing out is biological inequity inequity being that you can see the unequal distribution to both physical environmental stressors and psychosocial environmental stressors, which then brings us to the next part of the conversation, which is what do we, what do you do with the urban health index? So from my perspective, um, or I should say from one of the perspectives of Centric is social justice. And that social justice means health justice and that people have the right to know. They have the right to know if their environment is either supporting or not supporting their health. Because oftentimes when we're looking at health, we're still looking at it from an input output or a very linear process. And health is not like that. Health is eco an ecological phenomena, i.e. the place that a human 
or the places that humans inhabit play a key role in their health outcomes. And this map is the first iteration in being able to demonstrate that. Um, because of the phenomena of COVID, we were able to put the Urban Health Index into practice um, and the places that have higher biological inequity were also places where there were more incidences of COVID. And for that, you can go to our study that is currently online. Um, for a more industry application, I'm going to pass it over to Josh. Thanks, Shelley. So with regards to industry, I think it's important to note where industry currently gets its information on health. And by industry, we're referring to those practitioners in the built environment sector working across real estate, transport and other sort of consumer good based uh, businesses. And when typically in urban development, the conversation of how do we assess an area's health is often looked at a very broad and opaque set of indicators, some of which come from the indices of multiple deprivation. However, they don't tell the true story and things like environmental impact assessments, which are done for every or nearly every large scale urban development or intervention in an urban environment, typically pick baselining data from very sort of abstract areas and their fields and they're very much is a clear gap in the actual what is telling and what is indicating towards the truer lived experience or the almost like you know urban health baseline of that area and we see so we see health data sitting between gps who are uh, reading the outcomes are reading the symptoms or the diseases coming out of uh, poor health indicators from the local habitat and lives. And then we've got this very shallow data collection that's happening in the sort of development market where they're looking at their own indicators for their own little area. And whilst the good intention is there, the system is broken that no one's actually explaining in context that this area needs more care and attention paid to it if we are going to change it in the following instance. And I think that's what crucial, well, that's what's crucial about this urban health index is that we can break it down from a local authority to a ward to what's called like a, a super output area going smaller and smaller that we can help decision makers understand the sort of politics of place that governs people's health and um, use different data statistics to add alongside that we can paint a truer picture of what is going on that we can help practitioners actually understand and inherent health baseline of an area to reduce the level of unintended consequences, in particular, poor health outcomes that are coming from urbanization. So for industry, it is about learning, is this an area that I need to pay a little bit more attention to? And what are those externalities that are coming more and more to the forefront of my business decision making, such as those within environmental, social and government strategies? How do I get ahead? How do I do what's right? And really to borrow a phrase from someone else, um, how do I, if you're a developer or you're a landlord or whomever, if you're making a change in someone's home, their habitat, where they live, are you a gentrifier or are you a neighbor? And that latter bit is the neighbor is where you look after, you check to see if someone's milk has been collected in the morning. You check to see whether the post has gone through the door. You check to see whether they've been in, in home a lot or the last time they cut their grass. You check to see if your neighbor needs help coming back from the shops. That's what the Urban Health Index can do to a lot of businesses and organizations out there is bring a human lens to what's going on in this environment so that you become part of that community by truly understanding what are the factors that are people facing on a daily 
monthly and yearly basis, not just some random intersection of time. So I think that's what's crucial about uh, where industry can take this. Cool. Thanks. So now we're going to bring it back to a more open discussion because whilst, yes, we have a great visualization data tool um, that is free to access, so you can go onto our website now and and um, look at the at the index, it's important to caveat this and also understand its limitations. I think a lot of times in science we get way too much hubris about how much we can actually tell or how much of the story can we actually tell. So um, to lead this and to start us off, I'm going to pass it on to um, to Dan because um, he's got a lot of, I think, expertise in the ethics and also the caveats of using the urban, uh, well, using an index like the Urban Health Index. Um, so yeah, Dan, um, what are your thoughts on the caveats and limitations to this? Yeah, I mean, I think that what it really highlights is there's a lot in the history of science and politics that is about being prescriptive and about telling people their situation or what you're going to do to change. And there's actually not as many systems or even forms of research that include the real-time experiences of the people who it's supposed to affect and so the thing is as i said before the urban health index is all static data it's all things that would be on an annual average but if something has changed in the last month it's not going to necessarily tell you what that change is because the end of the day the people that will know most about the outcome of that are the people that are affected the people on the ground and the true kind of vision we have for it is not that we expect that the urban health index is going to cover every question that someone's going to have about their health, but it just becomes a tool because obviously a phone never makes you better at having a relationship with your friends, family, and loved ones, but it is a tool to give you access when you're not in a physical presence. So it's like with when you're doing sciences about people and you're involving data and technology, you've got to realize where there's always going to be a bit of a disparity. There's going to be a bit of a gap that will be filled and it should be a symbiotic relationship. So even part of what Josh was talking about, about the whole how to become a neighbor, you don't become a neighbor for one week or one month or one year. It's a continuous evolution and process and the environment can change. And so the thing that we always have to be very wary of and very conscious of is what we're actually creating things for and to make sure that we are leading with a purpose and we're given the avenue for people who need to use it to actually justify or rate what it's doing for their lives rather than telling them this thing should help them and they should understand it or they're just maybe not worth helping or something like that. So that I think they had, and that's a big, that's something that a lot of companies and a lot of people working in tech and science haven't necessarily overcome or even engaged in the conversation of. That's awesome, Dan. That was um, a really great summary. And I really like the analogy of the phone. Um, so, Elahi, do you want to take us to biological determinism in terms of, yes, we are highlighting the areas that um, have biological inequity, but we also can't get hung up on biological determinism? So, I think 
the problem that you can sort of stumble into when you have something like the Urban Health Index is that it's very easy to sort of um, to sort of assume that the the health outcomes or the the differences in the health outcomes um, are due to some sort of aspect or or inherent quality of the population uh, within that environment, which is exactly sort of the wrong interpretation we we want to put out with this sort of uh, index. Um, so I think what's important to stress is that although biological inequality, uh, yes, does state that uh, there are uh, differences biological differences, uh, particularly related to the stress response uh, found within these populations, it's nothing uh, inherent to the uh, to the sort of uh, person uh, or demographic. It's it's more to do with the environment. Um, and I think that's really important to stress is, is that biology and human health is an extension of the environment. So if we are put into a certain environment, we our bodies will adapt uh, in order to survive, and that's just sort of that's that's what we're designed to do. Um, so I think it's really important to stress that these biological differences are man-made; um, they are unfair and they are systemic, and it's something that we have to actively combat um, through more clever and conscious uh, policy interventions. Brilliant, thank you, Eli. I think. Both what you and Dan have just said with regards to the actual statistics that back this up, they are man-made. And I think what's crucial about this is whilst we are talking about health, um, with the indicators that are leading to it are physical elements that can either be solved by you know an independent practitioner, a group of people coming together, you know, by clearly looking at the measurable and physical things, it's very clear to tell the people that govern the physical environment. These are your healthcare-related issues. You know, if you were in a, able to improve these indicators, you are by default giving people in those communities the best chance possible to have health. And I think what's really crucial is explaining that we're not looking at a random series of um, indicators that aren't connected. We're very much looking at the through line that uh, the prevalence of stressors in urban environments are things that are controlled by elements in the urban environment. So looking at elements such as air pollution, but also access to green space, or other elements such as the ability you know, to walk down a street or access social spaces. These kind of small factors are controlled by those that govern the built environment. And when we see that they are in that negative zone, that the high risk factor, they can be turned into that kind of high green factor, the high, you know, the good green zone. I think it's, it's so crucial to explain that these conditions that have such poor health outcomes are governed by those in the urban planning and development and management sector to take the line that urban planning is healthcare. I just really wanted to put that through, but Araceli, I know that you wanted to um, close us off with a point. Um, no, it was it was to support, again, what Elahi said about um, biological determinism that we have to then you this is a starting point not an end point and again i think that's and dan you can contest me on this um that that's perhaps another fallacy of both science and data that science and data are taken as endpoints they're not endpoints they're starting points yeah. like asking better questions right so from there we have to go down to the community level and understand why there will be variabilities within two neighbors living side by side even if they're both 
both living in an area of biological inequity, their health outcomes are going to vary because of the other nuances in, in, in the lived experience. And I think um, adding that caveat that we shouldn't take these tools as um, would you like what do you call it the, the like the eight ball right that's just going to give you the answer it is that it's giving you a perspective from where then you start to investigate further um so to close this off actually i'm just going to pause there for a second alahi and dan do you want to add anything else to the caveats um i was i was just going to say yeah it's it's definitely things like these tools such as the urban health index they they aren't axioms or truth statements they're sort of uh stepping stepping stones um not only in terms of scientific inquiry but also in terms of the application and it, it sort of does relate to the idea that health isn't just something that should be uh, contained within the biomedical industry or, or or there shouldn't be sort of this hegemony uh, over health by medical doctors or gps it's definitely a problem or a responsibility of everyone at this point Cool. Dan, do you want to add another last bit or are you good? Um, no, I think it's uh, mostly covered. And I think the the overarching theme of this is that it's it's creating a culture. And this is the thing about how you build accountability into the technology or the systems or the interventions you're using is that a culture changes and it lasts and it adapts, whereas just a simple solution technical solution what have you is something that someone can use um, and it's the reason why as i've mentioned in some of our conversations in our work how things like air pollution people think that okay you can look at new trends and you can figure things out but we don't necessarily have a culture where citizens can actually be informed about air pollution in a way that matters to them so no one you know, people can think of the way people know about the weather now we're in a point where no one needs an individual weather store on top of their house because they can still get their local weather reading and then they can look outside and say oh it's going to rain it's going to um, be a bit sunny etc for most of these things that matter we don't have any accessible way for the average citizen to say i'm asthmatic or i'm a bit elderly or i'm whatever and i have some sort of update on what going down this road is going to do for me and this is going to be as josh has alluded to kind of a joint thing between councils between private companies that are actually building and operating on your streets to your neighbors who are also active so i think we, it's got a big ambition but it's a great place to start to just get people to understand why this culture needs to exist and what the focal point for that can be Brilliant. Thanks, Dan. So I think one of the things you were hinting at there or dropping in is where we're going with this. So, uh, you know, Centric uh, recently became a nonprofit with an aim of impacting policy uh, to get the phenomena of biological inequality and inequity understood as something that can be changed through urban policy and decision making. So what we're going to be doing is right now, if you go on the website, you can just see a very simple visualization. I say simple, um, that's literally <laughs> the team's work that went into it. It took like a um, minute, Josh, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, it is a static visualization 
uh, set to the wards of London. And we chose wards as it gave the idea of an area. We felt it was a representation of a large enough sort of area uh, to, to use. But going forward, uh, we'll be announcing soon about some other plans for expanding it out to the entire of the UK. So that's a process we're working on, as well as, well as making it more interactive. So it's very much kind of watch this space. We're designing this to empower people to have better understanding about the health indicators uh, directed from the urban environment and ways in which both an individual, you as a citizen can change, but also if you're working in the industry, a better way that you can understand the communities that you're working in. So we do have a big growth plan uh, for it beyond just London at the moment. So uh, thank you guys for today. Uh, any questions, uh, do drop us an email, uh, hello at thecentriclab.com. Uh, but if I can just say thank you to Araceli, Elahi and Daniel for coming on the call today and we will all speak soon. If you like this show and you want to support its further production, please head over to patreon.com forward slash centriclab where you can support all the work that the lab does membership will give you access to the reports that we produce and discounts to future workshops and events as well as giving you access to these podcasts a week in advance so please head over to patreon.com forward slash centric lab and donate whatever you can we're not setting a minimum or a maximum whether it be a pound or a dollar per month or anything more we greatly appreciate it thanks for your time and if you don't want to do that please just leave us a review somewhere online where you've heard this everything helps towards getting messages out there about health justice, environmental justice, and improving the health outcomes of people in cities. Thank you. Bye.